Disney Channel discourse, here is the episode that I promised I would deliver a couple weeks ago, and it is not about a movie, it is, well, I guess it's kind of about a show, but it is about a specific aspect of a specific show that I've said multiple times is my favorite Disney Channel show of all time, Phineas and Ferb, and more to the point, I suppose, as I'm sure you can already tell, in this episode, I will be counting down my top 30 favorite songs from Phineas and Ferb, and Phineas and Ferb has way more than 30 songs. In fact, I think it's definitely fair to say that the music in this show is one of the reasons people love it so much. It's, it's one of the sticking points people take away from it, and I've asked myself the question a couple times. Why does everyone love Phineas and Ferb music so much? And I think what I've gathered is, you might have heard this saying before, goes, happiness equals reality minus expectation. And when you have a Disney Channel cartoon that's very formulaic, I guess you could say, formulaic but but intricate, uh, as I kind of pointed out a couple episodes ago in my Phineas and Ferb Gravity Falls episode. And then they introduced the aspect of, oh, we're going to have a couple songs too. Expectation is very low. And any ounce of good music that you find in there is a bonus. And because because it didn't have to be good, and the fact that it is good is unexpected. And that's, I think, a big part of the reason why. Because like you just you write a competent song... And I know that there's pretty short songs. The vast majority of, the, of these are like under two minutes, even shorter actually in the episode. The soundtrack versions are usually around a minute and a half, give or take a little bit. And as soon as you write a song that's like just good, like not even necessarily amazing, it feels like it's almost amazing because you weren't expecting it to be. So actually, when I was putting this this list together, uh, by the way, there are a couple songs from Candace Against the Universe in here. I, I put the finishing touches on this list after that movie came out, which was my plan, because I predicted that there would be a few songs in there that would be worthy of the list, and I was completely correct. And anyway, as I was putting this together, I basically the first thing I did, I went through the list of all the Phineas and Ferb songs, and I jotted down the ones that I thought had a, had a chance to be in the list, and I ended up with a list of 51 so I could have certainly expanded this into a top 50 Phineas and Ferb songs, but I figured that might take an extremely long time. So instead of what I'm going to do those other 21 songs, I'm just going to list them for you, the honorable mentions, and these mentions are all honorable, every last one of them. First three honorable mentions are Christmas songs from the Phineas and Ferb Christmas special. First one is That Christmas Feeling, sung by Olivia Olsen. Next one is Thank You Santa, sung by Mitchell Musso, who of course voices Jeremy. And we've also got Christmas is Starting Now, who, who, gonna be honest, I, I'm actually not sure who sings that one. But all three of these, like, they, they distinctly capture both, you know, the the commercial Christmas music that everyone 
either loves or hates, and also the essence of Phineas and Ferb. And I really like all three of these, and actually I wanted to get like at least one of them on the top 30, but just couldn't find room. Next honorable mention, watching and waiting. Let's spend half a day. Oh baby, let's take half a day to be together. Let's make half a day last forever. Drusselstein driving test waltz. Coffee's a big mistake. Try not to plunge into the lake. When you're doing the Drusselstein driving test waltz. Next honorable mention is actually the what is by far the least known of the four songs from Dude, We're Getting the Band Back Together. It's the first one, and it's called History of Rock. Ha! I kept learning all the pals my guitar had. You'll, you'll see this as my as I go through my list, but in my opinion, the four songs in that episode, they get better and better as they go on, and I think a fair amount of people would probably agree with me on that. But History of Rock, even though it's, it's pretty much everyone's least favorite, it sets the floor really well, I find for the fact that this episode's gonna be all about music and it's gonna be the big driving point behind it. Next song, it's an honorable mention, is from the Star Wars special from season four. It's called We Love Tatooine. Yeah, we're living like kings out here. We got a Tucson summer to hold on here. Cruising Beggars Canyon in our 216 are just sitting on a rock eating blue eyes cream. Now I am I'm not a Star Wars fan and I know pretty much about as little as one possibly could about Star Wars. In fact, I think it's fair to say most things I know about Star Wars I learned against my will. The rest of the things I know about Star Wars I learned by watching this Phineas and Ferb Star Wars crossover. I can only imagine how like, how someone who's a big fan of both of these things, Star Wars and Phineas and Ferb, now that I know that Tatooine is like, I guess an important Star Wars planet, to have that opening song, I think it was the opening song, or at least it was close to the beginning, of Phineas and Ferb singing about the Star Wars planet, of just being like this super amazing thing. And it's a great song too, even I had no idea what Tatooine was, which I didn't. Next honorable mention, Not So Bad a Dad. You were a substandard dad, but the only one I had I grew up Olivia Olsen is, by the way, definitely the best singer in the show. Not really up for debate. Give me a grade is an honorable mention. I think this was like Malik Pantroli who voices Baljeet. I think that because he, he was like super when when Dan and Swampy were like, hey, we want you to sing. He was like extremely against the idea, but I, I eventually eventually came around to it. And I think this was like the first song he actually sung for the show. Next honorable mention, just the two of us. I'm so happy. Ready for the Bettys, also sung by Olivia Olsen, though though not actually playing Vanessa in this song. Rubber bands, rubber balls from the Summer Belongs to You special. This is 
a fan favorite. Little Brothers from Phineas and Ferb Get Busted is an honorable mention. Um, I kind of go back and forth on this one. I think it's definitely fair to say overrated is applicable here. My Undead Mummy and Me, there's another honorable mention. And I noticed a little bit in, in later seasons, actually, as episodes open, the the instrumental music from like the very beginning of the song will play. It's, this is great opening music. Very fun. Honorable mention, I'm Lindana and I want to have fun. I'm sure I'm probably in the minority by not having this in my top 30. And it was, it was one of the very last cuts. It really was one of the very last cuts. I had it in the late 20s in some early drafts. Of course, this song was also performed by Olivia Olsen, the person who voices Vanessa, sang the part for Lindana. I'm sure this is, this is kind of like relatively common knowledge at this point, but very hard to one here. And points, of course, have to be given to this song for being the inspiration for Gitchy Gitchy Goo. Absolutely no question. Next honorable mention, Backyard Beach. Carpe Diem, also an honorable mention, the closing number on Roller Coaster the Musical. E-V-I-L-B-O-Y-S did not quite make the cut for my top 30 list. But Dan Poppenmeyer, who does the singing on that for the, the Wild Parsnip version of Candace, does a very good job of basically making his voice sound like basically the opposite of what Candace normally sounds like. And my, my last cut, my number 31 song, is the final number in the series. The last song in Last Day of Summer, Curtain Call, slash Time Spent Together. It's just about the time we spent together. It's just about the time we spent together. With you. So now I open my top 30 list with number 30, S-I-M-P, Squirrels in My Pants. One of the one of the most well-known songs from the Phineas and Ferb series. First of all, I want to say, calling people simps isn't funny. Now moving on to the actual song. I understand the allure, 100%. It's very much in the, the random humor vein that was popular in 2008, of which iCarly somewhat led the charge on, but Phineas and Ferb was definitely right in, right in the game on that. And I can appreciate... To a certain degree, the meaningless rhymes, uh, especially specifically the line "How can I qualify for government grants?" S I M P squirrels in my pants, and obviously the the main um calling card here is those those rhymes of like you know picking the words that rhyme with pants and figuring out a sentence that puts them together, kind of a hip hop uh like freestyle rap spoof, I guess you could say. Words that rhyme with pants, words that rhyme with P, S to the I to the M to the P, and such. As I said, I understand why people love it, just not quite my speed, I guess. Number 29, I love you, Mom. Mom, it's your birthday. 
Now, people who who listen to this song all pretty much have the same general reaction. The beginning is slow or boring, I guess you could say, and but it, it culminates quickly and, and wonderfully into you know uh, there's the drum fill and then the climax comes pretty quickly. The resolution comes pretty quickly, and it's all tied up nicely in a, in a bow, kind of like a kind of like a birthday gift. Huh? Who'd have thought? And I think about this song the way I think about like a stand-up comedian or a magician, which I kind of talked about on the the Now You See It episode. Like the, all the performing arts, they kind of they all come down to the same fundamentals, and one of those fundamentals is a setup and a punchline. We talked about like you know the expectations of the audience or the listener in this case, and what ends up happening, and when the beginning is not quite to your expectations or quite to your liking such as as the case in i love you mom then when the quote-unquote punchline comes which is the climax of this song which is the that high note bouncing off the walls you're the one that one right not gonna not gonna yelp too loud but you, you know what i'm talking about then that's all of a sudden such a at such a higher level than what you were expecting based on what came previously, that if the beginning of the song were really good, then that moment doesn't hit quite as hard, so to speak. And it's very interesting because when, when you look at it that way, that's a reason why, because music isn't like, it's not about long length of this, like you listen to a song that's however long it is, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes, eight minutes, however long the song is. You don't feel the exact same way all the way, all the way through. It's, it's up and down. And that's one of the reasons why it's impossible to have a a perfect song, because for a musical moment to be really effective and good and maybe even like give you chills, then it had to have come up from a lower level. And I Love You Mom kind of just does that to a very high degree. Number 28, Impress My Professor. I look at this song as the less good of the two Doofenshmirtz Broadway numbers, uh, which the other one of which is uh, My Goody Two-Shoes Brother, which we'll be talking about a little bit later on. They really lean in this song, really lean hard into the Broadway bit. And I mean, we've talked about like Phineas and Ferb, these songwriters really tried their hand at like every different genre of music. And I mean, yeah, Broadway is not going to be exempt. And they really, they tell you exactly what they're doing. They lean into it. And, and like Perry is sitting there in the, in the trapped, in the trap with the, the chair and those things are holding his arms and he, he gets handed a program. So like, if you didn't know, now you know. And great lyricism too. Like one of my favorite examples of it. Um, the one who advised me openly despised me. The eyes of this person whose opinion may worsen. That's one of my favorite rhymes in the, in the whole show. Number 27, we've got Alien Heart. Now, I'm going to explain to you, if you haven't seen Max Modem in the Mainframes, which is an episode in Season 2, I'm going to explain it to you. So basically what happens is Linda gets a call. Like, hey, there's a, this 80s revival reunion concert going on, and we want to invite Linda to perform. And she doesn't want to go, but Candace and the other kids convince her to go. So she decides to go. And then Lawrence is kind of sad, like, oh, I I was always afraid this would this would happen. She's going to meet so many interesting people, and then I'm going to be too boring for her. So Phineas and Ferb decide to 
turn Lawrence into Max Modem, which is a has-been from the 80s that they invented. And then he goes to this 80s reunion, and he just pretends like he belongs there, and everyone's like, oh yeah, Max Modem, I know him, even though he never existed. And this is the song they perform. And Richard O'Brien is singing, who's the one who does voice Lawrence. Absolutely fantastic to see him doing his own singing part, even though he's not the greatest singer in the world. And I think that's that's part of the reason why this song is so good, is that he isn't such a great singer, because they kind of nailed that 80s safety dance trash sound. Number 26 is a song from Across the Second Dimension. It's called Brand New Reality. This song is placed perfectly in the movie. there's a super dramatic scene in second dimension where where they're like they're about to fall towards the lava and and candace from the second dimension throws phineas the dimension open door thingy and they're falling towards the lava we're like oh no what's gonna happen and all of a sudden they're moving through the dimensions and there's this it's super abrupt switch from like dark tone to light tone and the other way around probably wouldn't work but this way totally works and there's the opportunity here as they're just kind of walking through dimensions like this is where the wackiest ideas of the writer's imagination finally get gets put to use all this this clever throwaway art these these just these dumb gags on display over the song it's so groovy there are these like in the in the verse there are these constant key changes like every couple bars they go, I think it's like up a tone and a half or something, or down a tone and a half. Or like down a perfect fourth or something, I don't know. Weird key changes that happen constantly. And then there's a, there's a little bit of a difference in the version of the song in the movie versus on the soundtrack. On the soundtrack, it ends like, Brand new reality, a brand new reality. I guess I'll see you around. And then in the movie, it goes like brand, 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 brand. I guess I'll see you around. And I kind of prefer the movie version, but alas, number twenty-five is let's, let's take, take a rocket ship, rocket ship to space. To space. People tend to overuse the word vibes, but the vibes in this song are off the charts. This is where that word belongs. There's this, they kind of modeled it after Fly Me to the Moon. There's this like Sinatra-esque crooner style sound going on here. And the song's only like a minute long. It's funny, like in the show, in the episode, Out to Launch, they use like live footage from actual rocket ship crashes to show like Phineas and Ferb like trial running their rocket ship. And they've got this, of course, like this whiteboard with all the equations they're doing. It's like, hmm, nothing's really working. And then Ferb like draws a smiley face and it's like, oh, now it works. Absolutely fantastic. And of course, there's like the Phineas conducting the musicians with there's this cool like staccato variation on like the song is one minute long and there are like these variations on the main melody dun, da, 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 da. and then and like the fireside girls are doing the orchestra and it's like i just wish it was a little longer like like i i said the word vibes very easy to chill to this song if it was a little longer it'd be easier to chill because like chill for a minute that's not enough chilling and also like they noticed like they really went all in on this crooner style because you can hear like this the static noise like you would hear on like 1940s vinyl so very intricate work done here on let's take a rocket ship to space number 24 
We've got the opening song from Candace Against the Universe, the very first thing they released a couple weeks ahead of the movie, called Such a Beautiful Day. So I, I guess this is, it's, it's really kind of what got the hype train going. I mean, there was a hype train going before this song came out for Candace Against the Universe, but this really this really helped to gain some, some momentum, I guess. Dan Poffenmeyer did an interview, and he was talking about how they were thinking of opening the movie. And they were like, hmm, what, what should we do? What should we do? And apparently, like, nothing was really working or felt really good as an opening scene until they decided, let's write a song, until they wrote this song. Because what this does is it frames Candace as the protagonist immediately, which is something that hasn't really been done in, you know, the entirety of the show. And Candace even says in the song, I know that I've been known to be antagonistic. And of course, there's the cheery, like, uh, uh, Danny Jacob with the back of vocals and like the animation of, of Candace riding her bike definitely a high point as well absolutely love that number 23 is the intro music for this podcast it's Swinter speaking of, of words that are overused iconic but I mean iconic this definitely applies to this song iconic and memorable There's this wasn't in the the main Phineas and Ferb Christmas special. It was in like a later one with Kelly Clarkson. But it's very Christmas sounding. Bum, 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 you know. And there's this really great, like, uh, this big band jazz sound that you would hear in like, I don't know, Harry Connick Jr. Christmas music in the this Winter's Wonderland section, which near the end it's this Winter's Wonderland, this like muted, big jazz band kind of sound. Number 22 is one of my favorite Phineas and Ferb songs to play on the piano. It's When We Didn't Get Along. Without your schemes, my life, it seems, is empty. I spent all my time keeping you from doing wrong. And when Phineas and Ferb was out of order on Disney+, Plus, uh, people thought that It's About Time was the first episode of season one because that, that's how it was listed, even though it wasn't. And I mean, out of all of the episodes to accidentally put first for someone who's like, say, watching the show through for the first time, this, this was probably the worst because you really don't get a good sense of the form, especially based on what happens in the B-plot because you haven't established Doofenshmirtz and Perry's relationship yet if this is the first episode you're ever watching. And of, of course, the, the B-plot in, in It's About Time is probably among the very best. Among the very best Doof and Perry plots there is. Of course, this is when Peter the Panda gets introduced for the first time. And there's this whole, like, you know, allegory of romantic relationship where two Finchmers is cheating on Perry and man like over the years Phineas and Ferb like their their melancholic moments very few and far between this is probably like the first one like the the earliest one that they had it's like wow you're gonna give him this song so much so much sadness and like oh, look at Perry's face and then he puts his hat back number 21 criminally underrated happy evil love song Doofenshmirtz sings with this this one-off character. Love was once a crazy dream. Now it's my new evil scheme. And I'm as happy as can be. Whose name I don't even remember. There's this playful whist- whistling, very simple chords, and it's it's easy listening. Wide world, we both maniacally laugh at all the same stuff I found my 
I don't have many notes for this song because it's, it's so so simple and straightforward and like kind of catch I feel like it catches you off guard because I mean it does come near the end of the episode and there this storyline wasn't really focused on incredibly in the episode Shea Platypus so the song comes unexpectedly and it's at nighttime and it's nice and pleasant and maybe it's that thing again with like low expectations and then that's and then you know surpasses the expectations and you enjoy it even more We are now into the top 20 with number 20, a song from Dude, We're Getting the Bend Back Together, Fabulous. This is a love letter to bassists, as it's been so eloquently put. And funnily enough, funnily enough there is actually, there's no bass in this song. I'm not sure if that was intentional, probably was. And I don't know if you know this, basically there's kind of a stereotype, I guess you could say, that bassists are like chill and mellow and they like hide in the back in the dark and the spotlight's not on him and to you know turn that stereotype around into here's this guy bobby fabulous and the way to win him back to agree to play in the band is to, to just feed his ego and convince him that he's the superstar and I, I want to point out also like uh maybe you know this bowling for soup the band that that played the theme song for this show um the three of them voiced the three members of Love Handle in this episode and all throughout the series. So just a little fun fact. I love the favorite line of this song is we need you back on bass guitar. Like blunt lines, very good. Love being blunt. Number 19, A-G-L-E-T, otherwise known as Aglet. I think it's very fair to say this song fits the bill of fan favorites. Through the eye of the needle there's this this it's kind of like a live aid spoof really all this like you know peace and love hippie bro protest stuff going on here those are really the the vibes that they're trying to send out here with lines like uh gonna tie the world together obviously like like the show has been known in multiple instances to poke fun at metaphors or or overt symbolism i guess and just take something so dumb like an aglet right and then all of a sudden transform it into this with the symbol of a movement or whatever and also like there's this whole you know, oh, kids don't learn from watching TV, and then like, yeah, well, I learned what an aglet was. Like, I guess that's an angle that could, I guess, be potentially funny or appealing to a nine-year-old. Number 18, second Doofenshmirtz on Broadway song, My Goody Two-Shoes Brother. I bear lots of animosity to bellhops. They never bring my luggage up on time. And taxi drivers really tax my patience. I referenced when we didn't get along earlier as one of my favorite songs to play, like on an instrument, piano, or guitar, or whatever. This one also, extremely fun to play. Fun to play around with tempo a little bit too, slow it down a little bit. I bear lots of venomosity to bellhops. And then you can kind of speed up, slow down a little bit, whatever you want. And there's seamless lyricism in this song, which is. Like, frankly, somewhat rare for Phineas and Ferb. Like, a lot of times you'll get, you know, the stuff that 
sounds a little bit sloppy maybe with like accented syllables and words not lining up on accented beats and stuff but here it's perfect and that's especially impressive with all the the jobs slash roles i guess that they that they come up with because it's very obvious like they had to come up with creative unique stuff but they also had to make it you know sing well and it totally does i bear lots of animosity to bellhops what a what a great what a great opening line legendary Meter maids are underwater wellers, health fanatic cooks or camera crews, not fond of monks or yoga teachers, or sports fans in the bleachers. Like man, that stuff, that stuff like gives Lin-Manuel Miranda a run for his money. And then, I mean, I love at the end, they, they slow it down. And they start, you know, the swing. Da, 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 da. Yes, my goody two shoes. Very chorus line, you know. And of course, pigeons, pigeons playing trumpet. Absolutely remarkable. Very talented pigeons. Number seventeen. Ducky Momo is my friend. And that was all until I saw his strange face quacking in slow-mo. Ducky Momo is my friend. And since we're back, this is a song that's coming to light more and more as a lot of fans of this show grow up. Because Candace to Ducky Momo is kind of as a lot of fans of Phineas and Ferb are to Phineas and Ferb in a sense that we're clinging on to a place of childhood comfort. It's a little different, I suppose, since Ducky Momo appears to be purely a, a little kid's thing, whilst Phineas and Ferb has a much wider target audience. But I think the point still kind of stands. And also there's the fact that Candace's love for Ducky Momo, at least in this episode, seems to focus on collecting memorabilia now, rather than the actual show or movies or whatever it is. I talked about seamless lyricism in uh, in Goody Teacher's Brother. Not much seamless lyricism going on here. One prime example of that is Never Needed to Know Mo. And there's also, like, after the bridge, there's this really awkward key change. Like, like going up the full tone there, kind of, like, it sounds good after after you get used to it. But the change to go up, like, it's, it's kind of strange. Cut Very weird and awkward. But, but to me... These flaws that, that stand out are balanced out by the like the emotional longing kind of sound. Actually, there's a video like if you look if you go on YouTube and look for Ducky Momo is my friend, it's gonna be like one of the first three suggested, which is this song of this scene from Nerds of a Feather. And on the like the bottom corner, there's like a countdown to the premiere of Camp Rock 2. Because so I guess that video was taken the day Camp Rock 2 was premiering in 2010. And I think like people were talking in the comments about like, there's this, you know, 2010 Disney Channel smell of like, you know, Phineas and Ferb, the Camp Rock 2 thing in the corner, and like whatever the the frame dimensions or something. And the, and that that kind of, you know, nostalgia, I guess, is, it's not a word I like to say, but but it kind of really like all those things kind of send you back 10 years ago, which is interestingly enough, kind of what Ducky Momo is my friend is all about. Number 16 is what I think of as the jacked up I love you mom and it's come home Perry. Perry, 
You know you are a boy's best friend You're more than just a passing trend You're like a treat from a candy store And I call this the jacked up I love you mom because in a sense it's really it focuses on the setup and punchline for the big the big tear tear duct moment of course there's this uh you know the homage to the beatles rooftop concert and there's this very it is kind of beatles sounding a little bit especially like at the climax perry come home and there's like this little guitar like that sounds a lot like the kind of thing george harrison would play and also just like in i love you mom the fireside girls are are singing in the animation but it's very clearly like Danny Jacobs voice layered over himself a few times I absolutely love it and like I wonder if they kind of like I don't know like I don't want to say dumbed down but it very does very much does sound like childish lyrics things like love you more than bugs and snakes like a treat at the candy store and it, I think it's kind of funny to think of this as like Phineas and Ferb's attempt at mature lyrics in comparison to the nonsensical getcha getcha goo i just know like i'm pretty sure those are like the these are like the only two songs that are canonically written by Phineas and ferb getcha getcha goo and come on perry so to compare those two a lot of fun and then of course candace you know comes out i guess and improvise singing i'll change my name to larry and then and then like that's and everything you know like confetti falls all that stuff but the the emotional tension like the the climax the, the punchline i was talking about before it erupts in the Perry come home when like the the baseline is walking down from C to B to A to G to uh, wait I can't my voice can't go that low but it goes from G to the F sharp to the F and when it hits that A is when Candace hits the the higher A and home Perry come home um, na, na, na. it mirrors what's going on in the bass line and it's like the singing is going up as the bass line's going down and then they kind of start going down together and there's this like contrast that's then resolved in being not a contrast anymore and that's one of the ways that the tension is kind of created here number 15 is my nemesis which is quite exactly the fun version of when we didn't get along both of course in the same episode very short song, not at all unusual. Very crisp harmony. And the focus here, the fun and good side of Doof and Perry's relationship. The focus is on ha- happiness and, and cheer. And because this episode maybe is the first instance of placing this really heavy emphasis on the fact that Perry and Doof really like each other, which over the course of the seasons evolves into a given. Like, oh, we all know this. We all know they love each other, and it's not something that has to be emphasized anymore. And this was the first time they really did emphasize it. It's an earworm, suitably, I guess. Like, you hear it once, of course, you hear it the rest of the day. Because it's very much like uh, an, oh, they're... There's Perry in the back of my mind, here he comes, kind of deal going on. My 14th favorite Phineas and Ferb song is one of a few Mitchell Musso songs. One of them is one of them is Thank You Santa. One of them is Set the Record Straight. This one is Do Nothing Day. Beautiful, kind and gentle and loving and softness and sweetness and candy and gum. Peppermint. It is in stark contrast 
this episode. To all the other days, in which Phineas and Ferb don't do nothing and instead do something. And I gotta say, seeing these kids who can't ever seem to get enough work in, seeing them take a, a healthy, well-deserved rest is very good. Very good to see. And obviously, like, the, the song starts with the, this, like, um, it's kind of making fun of... I don't Honestly, I don't even know what it's making fun of. It's just like, hmm, let's think of all the... The things that children may associate with happiness and calmness. And the opening line, Beautiful, kind and gentle, and loving, and softness, and sweetness, and candy, and gum. And that's kind of, that kind of really sets the tone. Let's just be happy for a minute and a half. And there's this really, like, this really sweet ending where you think they're going to, because at this point, Candace joins in, Ashley Tisdale, I guess. And you think they're going to go, I do nothing. Day like F E D C, but what they do instead is they gloss over the D. It just goes day. And I love that very much because it's this very like this sense of like instead of like you know slowly walking down towards your obvious destination they're going right from the e to the c just kind of like you know going right over the d kind of i don't know it makes me feel like like kind of how you would feel of like plopping down on a couch or like into a seat after a long day of being tired so like yeah let's go rest yeah we could sing that d but what's the need we might we might as well just you know not do that because we're trying to do as little as possible all right now is when we are really starting to get into the elite with my number 13 song city of love of course from summer belongs to you the arrangement is amazing all those those major seven chords it's it's in the key of b flat and it's like b flat major seven e flat major seven is like a lot where a lot of the crux is and it achieves a sense of like it's kind of a release of tension but it isn't entirely satisfying, which that's a lot of like what the major seven does, and that really like captures Isabella's like ho- hopelessness, I guess you could say in the song very well. And in the episode, I want I want to yeah I wanted to make sure I mentioned this in the episode Buford Confidential. There's this reprise of City of Love, City of Love, and it's just an instrumental though, and it's this great instrumental with like because. There are these great guitar licks in the intro. And I mean, I kind of like, I wanted to talk about this because I kind of, I do wish that Phineas didn't talk as much in this song. Or no, I guess at least what I wish is there were, was a version of the song without Vincent Martella in it. That was just uh, the Allison Stoner singing. Maybe there is one. Haven't come across one yet because sometimes the Phineas talking parts do kill the momentum a little bit. And it ends the song with that, that up and down between the tonic and then right below the tonic, which is the one of the seven. And as I kind of said before, that that major seven thing is kind of like, oh, we're, we could resolve, but like, you know, we kind of did resolve, but it isn't exactly quite perfect. Once again, I want to mention like the lead guitar track on this song. Probably my favorite part. So silky and smooth, man. So good. Number 12, Disco Miniature Golfing Queen.
everyone loves Stacy. Stacy is actually a queen. And the fact that they acknowledge that in a song, be grateful. I'm grateful, we should all be grateful. There's this this cool homage to, to disco music with the uh, intro. That's like half the length of the song. You know, disco music, especially like, you know, a lot of music in the 80s had like super long intros. And it's just one rotation, really. Like when the chords start, like, so you have the intro, they run through the whole progression, I'm pretty sure. They run through the whole progression again, but with words. And that's the song. There's these like horns blasting. And I think it's it's funny and very, very on, on brand. They could have done a, like a disco homage, a disco song anywhere. And they decided to do it for the mini golf song. Like the mini golf song could have just been like the mini golf song. And the disco song could have just been the disco song. But they decided to merge those two things together. And it's a great testament that they had these two separate ideas that could have been fine by themselves, and they had the vision to put them together to turn it into something truly special and unique, which is Disco Miniature Golfing Queen. By the way, the connection to Dancing Queen is not at all lost on me. Number 11 is the Perry the Platypus theme. Now, all right, they had a theme song for the show. Today's gonna be a great day. And they had a theme song for the B-plot. Well, they had, they had two teams. They had the Three of Insurance Evil Incorporated, I guess you could kind of say. Then they had the Perry the Platypus theme. It shows up in some capacity in pretty much every episode. And I think it's only in one good scare that this song is there in full. They were like, well, we have this full song written. It's like three minutes long. It's on our soundtrack. Maybe we should try and squeeze it into an episode somewhere along the line. And they did. In, uh, well, this is was like a half-hour special, so like 22 minutes of TV. I don't think they did the full three minutes of the Perry theme, but they did more than they usually do. Very James Bond sounding, which I think was intentional. Sounds a lot like Live and Let Die in multiple ways. Doobie doobie doo ba is an elite hook that deserves incredible fame. And, I mean, besides the token funny lyrics, specifically about metal-themed attributes, um, there's this, an unironically badass superhero sound going on here. As Vincent Martella has pointed out, Harry the Platypus is a Disney princess. Now we're into, into the top 10. First in the top 10, which is number 10, so I guess 10th, is Us Against the Universe, the new song, the finale to Candace Against the Universe. I used to feel alone, just me against the raging tide. But I guess I should have known that you were always on my side. Now I don't have to be I mentioned this in my in my Candace Against the Universe short review uh, back a few weeks ago. This is kind of a Don't Stop Me Now meets Summer Belongs to You situation. Don't stop me now. Just think about like the opening notes. It goes like, tonight I'm gonna have myself, right? And then the opening notes in Us Against the Universe are, I, I used, used to feel alone. I think, like, it's not the same key, but it's like, I think Don't Stop Me Now is an F and this is an F sharp, I think. So, pretty close anyway. So, and then Summer Belongs to You, of course. Like, it's got the same tempo. And, like, very much the same vibe. Which I think was fully intentional. But what separates this song from other previous celebration songs, such as Summer Belongs to You and Carpe Diem, is 
the key change between the verse and the chorus. Summer Belongs to You has a, a key change near the end of the song, but that's just like, you know, up a half tone for the final chorus. Carpe Diem, similar thing, I think is like up a full tone in that one. This one, it's not really the same thing because we've got the verses are both in F sharp, choruses are both in B. And when you go down a perfect fifth from F sharp to B, from the verse to the chorus, uh, going down a perfect fifth kind of gives a sense that we're heading towards closure. Also, the fact that, that B major has five sharps means it's got this intrinsic euphoric sound, kind of. So you've got this intrinsic euphoria, as I suppose I just put it, with this sense that we're heading towards closure. And then after the that first chorus, it goes back up to the first, it goes back up a fifth from B to, e, to F sharp. And when going down from F sharp to B, it has this closure, B to F sharp, it does the opposite. Kind of sounds like you're opening up again. So Us Against the Universe, I guess overall, really does. Like, because it has so much of that summer belongs to you kind of sound, it stays totally true to the original Phineas and Ferb stuff. It doesn't try to be too new, but it's new enough that everyone loves it immediately. Like, after the movie came out, I saw so much praise for the soundtrack, but specifically this song, and people saying this was already among the top five like Phineas and Ferb songs. And I mean, I can see the argument. I already put in my top 10. And a lot of times songs like will take a while to grow on me or to supplant the ones that I already know and love. Like, I want to give a song a while to see if, it, if I still like it after an extended period of time. Also, uh, YouTube channel Phineas Flynn's Law said that he, he already thinks this song is better than Summer Belongs to You. So to get a sense of how much praise that Us Against the Universe has received immediately. I mean, there you have it. My number nine favorite Phineas and Ferb song is very close to the top of the Songs I Wish Were Longer list. It's called Queen of Mars. I'm going to explain the context of this episode. You've probably seen it. It's a pretty popular episode. But basically, Baljeet, with the help of Phineas and Ferb, builds a portal to Mars for a science fair. And Candace walks through it and gets transported to Mars, where all the Martians crown her the queen. And the reason she's so happy about this is because earlier in the day, none of her friends were answering her phone calls. Jeremy, Stacy, Jenny, no one was picking up. So she was like, all my friends, oh, they don't like me anymore, getting very self-conscious. Then when all these Martians love her, there's this unfiltered and and pure joy and that pure joy is captured extremely well in not just the lyrics but a lot of the musical techniques which i got some kind of discussing more and more here first of all there are no minor chords in the whole song which is very rare to find like there are the, there are four chords it is e to a to f sharp to b all major chords and it's very and it's this very you know jumpy happy kind of sound and also there's like Heading into the chorus, Ashley Tisdale has this like octave jump. Now I'm the queen of Mars. I was invisible on Earth. It only took and a lot of joy kind of shines through in that that you know big climb. And Ashley Tisdale, like, if I want to praise sing performances, this this might be like her best one in the entire Phineas and Ferb catalog because a lot of times it can be very hard to portray happiness really well with singing like everyone's always you know singing sad songs and stuff 
but actually sounding really happy in a happy song, uh, kind of a bit of a challenge. So being able to, to sing like it only took a magic portal to Mars with a smile on your face and have that really shine through. Very impressive. And of course, there's this, this very iconic, like, choppy dancing animation going on with, like, Candace and the Martians kind of just like, boop, 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 back and forth a little bit. Number eight, from across the second dimension, is a song that's gained a lot of admiration recently. Summer, where do we begin? People have called it the encapsulation of the show. I think that's fair. Maybe not exactly the one I'd pick as an encapsulation of the show. There's, there's this kind of like bittersweetness and sensitivity and delicacy in this song. Because like Second Dimension is it's pretty somber toned, if we're being honest. Like the, I guess if I'm going to talk about Across the Second Dimension a little bit here, um, we assume the Second Dimension versions of Phineas, Ferb, all the other kids would have been just like Phineas and Ferb and all the other kids if they weren't living under an oppressor. In a sense, I I guess I, I won't get into it too much today, but I feel as though Second Dimension is the cartoon characters coming into the real world, the Second Dimension being our real world, and them witnessing firsthand how bad it is. That's why Second Dimension Doofenshmirtz reigns over. In the real world, someone with money and shrewdness could very feasibly seize power and oppress people. Compare that to a cartoon world where he doesn't because he's a cartoon. And all that kind of sadness and drama, that's where the vulnerability comes in that song of this kind of like this empathy Phineas and Ferb have of like, yeah, sure, they're singing about how many great times they've had in their summer, but you do have to balance that ever so slightly with the fact that you're singing to these sad boys who haven't ever experienced that before. You've got this this progression. There's It's in the key of C, and the E minor chord is pretty prominent, which is the three chord, and it's a very vulnerable sounding chord. And it comes up a lot in the song. There's this, there's, there's this kind of tension and release with it, with this acknowledgement of the terrible world that Phineas and Ferb are visiting and the shining light that is their own experience of summer. You do, you do see that, that also after they like break into their own theme song and then there's the maybe we're going a bit too fast and they kind of like really quiet it down for a second and say we've got to be super, super delicate and gentle with how we sing this song to these people because total happiness and joy like we experience in this cartoon world isn't at all relatable for these people in the real world. I, I tried to be clear. I really hope that made sense. Number seven, Emmy nominated for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics, lost to I'm Fucking Matt Damon from Jimmy Kimmel. We've got Ain't Got Rhythm. You keep saying that you don't have rhythm, but listen what you're doing right there. With that stamp and a book, you got a real nice hook. Sounds to me like you got rhythm to spare. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've got as much rhythm as that chair. What happened to me was a tragedy, but I don't have to be a Crisp millionaire. and clean, clear and concise and correct. The five C's. Actually, I learned, I took a, like a writing news class last semester, and they talked about the three C's, clear, concise, and correct. I, I added crisp and clean when speaking about this song, Ain't Got Rhythm. The percussion tracks, rightfully shine through 
from the, the rulers and the books to the the drum fill the famous the famous drum drum fill when Phineas sings that's, the, that's where the punchline is of this song is that drum fill on syncopation and the climbing towards this punchline is much more direct and much more obvious that we are heading in a specific direction whereas the punchlines in come on Perry or I love you mom are a little bit more surprising this one we can feel it coming I just want to point out when Phineas says laying down some funky syncopation um, there is no syncopation in this song on the, the drumming everything happens on the beats and they use this this borrow chord technique where basically like I'm, I'm not sure what key this is in I think it's in I think it's an E I want to say or A either way so let's say it's an A um, the progression is like A C D A all major chords and C major isn't in the key of A it's, it's like the, the flat 3 and it's called a borrow chord because you're kind of borrowing that chord because that chord is the relative major of the minor chord that has the same name as you. So let me try to explain that a little more clearly. A major is the key we're in. A minor is the relative minor of C major. So when you take A major to C major, when you slide from A into C, it kind of, it does, when it's set up properly, give the sense that like, we're in that key as well, like we're comfortable there too, and it's a logical place to slide towards. And to have the sense of like, be still being comfortable as you're sliding up a tone and a half. It's a technique used to build a sense of grandeur. And that's one of the reasons why it does feel like you're moving somewhere, is that chord progression. Even though the backing track is like pretty simple all the way through. Then of course, like you have like add the little organ a little bit in the second verse, very slow build, pretty slow build going on here in Ankot Rhythm. Number six the song that was so good that Disney Channel asked them to make songs regularly for every episode. Gitchy, gitchy, goo. Ladies and gentlemen, the Furbats! I'm Phineas and this is Furb and we're gonna sing a song. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. That's what my baby says. Bow, bow, bow. And my heart starts pumping. Chicka, chicka, chew, wow. Never gonna stop. Gitchy, gitchy, goo. Means that I love On the soundtrack, there are those two bridges and I can't say I prefer that version. There are only two chords in the normal verses. That's what my baby says. Those verses just have the one and the five. Very simple. One, five, five, one. That's how it goes. In the bridges, there are six chords. It's okay. I feel like they could have maybe kept the bridges to a similar level of simplicity. But anyway, people like... You know, people like talking about, oh, it's, it's about the complexity of romance. Oh my god, shut up. You're so annoying. It's nonsense. It's explicitly nonsense. The lyrics intend to be nonsensical, and to pretend that they aren't nonsensical is disrespectful. This isn't supposed to make you think or ponder. Its purpose is that it's miraculously catchy. That's why it's good. That's why it's funny. That's why it's effective. It's good because it's funny, and it's funny because it's good and so on. And that's why you can't get enough of it. Just to be able to 
take a break from songs with meanings. Even like if you take a song like "I'm the Walrus" by the Beatles, like great song, but although those lyrics were designed with the intention of being nonsensical, they are complicated. And here is a song nonsensical, check, and uncomplicated, also check. You can just shut off your brain and love it, which is something that cannot be said about most of Phineas and Ferb. Also, very much worth mentioning, Flop Stars, also, maybe top five normal length Phineas and Ferb episode of all the, like, you know, normal 11, 11 and a half minute length ones. This one, which was super early on in season one, one of the best, one of the very best. Number five. You snuck your way right into my heart. The final song from Jeter getting the band back together. For a long time, before I dove back into my Phineas and Ferb fandom after getting Disney Plus, this was my go-to Phineas and Ferb song. Also, this is kind of like right under Queen of Mars on my songs that I wish were longer list. Love Handle. That was like the 80s. Probably. I think that's where they aim for. Late 80s, early 90s. Not quite sure how the timeline stacks up, but that's when these guys were a band. About. And, I mean, 80s power ballad? Yeah. This is, what's this? You got the, the weeping guitar solo, the, like, icy xylophone sounding thingy that Billy Joel used a couple times. That's what they what they did was amazing, the songwriters for this show. They have a clear intention for their song, for whatever song they're writing, and they model it after pre-existing songs to meet that intention. Multiple times done as well as you snuck your way into a right into my heart. I talked about this in Disco Miniature Golfing Queen. I talked about this in Alien Heart. And let's take a rocket trip to space. Us against the universe. You model it after pre-existing songs to meet the intention that you're trying to achieve. And here, late 80s power ballad. Check. This episode was about the music. This was the episode where Candace and Phineas and Ferb actually worked together. Extremely rare sight to see. And this episode has been called the one where the show Phineas and Ferb took a step forward from a, a normal kids cartoon to something more special than that and I would have to agree with that sentiment and this song does capture a lot of that and a lot of that is in a lot of people's favorite animation moments from the whole show where everyone's you know watching love handle there on that stage in their backyard and Candace spontaneously just like puts her arm around Phineas in a tremendous amount of pride. In one of the first displays of a very strong sibling love between Phineas, Candace, and Ferb. Number four, it's my favorite song from season one, Busted. This song was so good, they made a parody of it called Rusted in a credit scene of Wizard of Odd. Imagine writing a song that's so good that you make a parody of it yourself. Ashley Tisdale and Olivia Olsen, the best singers in this cast, no doubt. The red-black aesthetic, the dancing, menacing, badass, everyone fucking loves it. Everyone loves this song to death. 
And it goes without saying. Good luck finding a fan without this song at least in their top 10. I don't really know what to add about this one. think a song called Busted on the surface, you would think that would just be like an encapsulation of Candace's entire character? Not really. This is much more specific to the episode where Vanessa is also trying to bust Doofenshmirtz, which is actually, funnily enough, of like a pretty rare situation for something that they, you know, hammered home in this elite song. verses are also changed a little bit progressions slightly altered near the end of them it would be really fun i think to to like perform the song slowed down a little bit i can see the things you're doing i don't know sometimes i just like to slow songs down or speed them up or whatever i don't want to put the hurt on you but you better believe me when i tell you that i finally got the dirt on you Number three, from across the second dimension, brand new best friend, Doofenshmirtz's duet with Doofenshmirtz. Does that mean you and I are exactly alike? First note, I suppose. unexpected rhymes. Always refreshing and great. Do you want some rice pudding? No, that's gross. It was a test almond brittle. I love it the most. Do you want some rice pudding? No, that's gross. It was a test almond brittle. Ooh, I love it the very logical, sensical, attracts, yet it's unexpected, gross, and most, extremely close rhyme, songwriting, off the charts. Lyrics, the like, overlapping, you know, the two Doofenshmirtzes, call and response, of course, kind of thing going on here. Very Broadway, and high humor level. Very high humor level in this song. I love it the most is very funny. Vending machines become the dominant race is very funny. Nothing quite matches up to, I met Lorenzo, he play meep. Do llamas weird you? Are they camels or sheep? No, no, I meant Lorenzo. Oh, right. He played me. One of the only big fourth wall breaks in this movie that I can think of. And definitely my favorite one. And of course, throughout the whole thing, you got this imagery going on in the animation of these famous duos. Laverne and Shirley, the little up and down thing, Schlemiel, Schlemazel, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated, classic. Simon and Garfunkel, Sherlock and Watson. Then Phineas and Ferb, kind of a little, little patting yourself on the back there. Already Phineas and Ferb recognizing that you're, you've already established yourself among some of the most famous duos of all time. But all these things, like, I noticed none of them as a nine-year-old watching this. And they're all only on the screen for, like, two, three seconds max. I love heading into heading into the pre-choruses. There are these bars of 2-4. Most of the song is 4-4. Four, four. four beats for bar. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But then when Doofenshmirtz goes, I've been alone all these years. There's a bar of two, four. Alone all these, that's a bar of two, four. And it changes up the pacing a little bit. And the second time this happens, the two Doofenshmirtzes are playing the xylophone on this like dinosaur skeleton. And then Doofenshmirtz number one kind of like sticks his head through the bones and goes, oh, wee, wee. 
That might be my favorite part. Someone with whom I agree. I found a brand new best friend, and it's me. I found a brand new best friend, and it's me. Then it ends, it closes with coming at you. Fridays and two for Schwartz. One, I was like, let's start a TV show, which, to be honest, reinforces my theory that uh, all these cartoon characters have entered the real world, which is the second dimension. Or at least an allegory for the real world. I find that this song doesn't get nearly enough credit for the songwriting, the arrangement of the lyrics, the way they overlap, for the great jokes, for the great animation on it, and for Dan Poffenmeyer singing. This, as, as you can tell, from my opinion, deserves to be amongst the very elite Phineas and Ferb songs. Just as number two, another Across the Second Dimension song, Everything's Better with Perry. Songs I Wish Were Longer, this one's on the list too. This one's on the list too. You talk about an opening for a movie, the horns and the cheeriness. This great bass line, dun, 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 dun. There's this, this I Want You Back influence by the Jackson 5, no question. They don't even really try to hide it. I mean, when you look at the, the lyrics, it's like Hamilton level, really. Every day a plus to spend it with the platypus. We're always so ecstatic, because he's semi-aquatic. Our us, brings smiles to the both of us. Life's never fuddy-duddy with our wet-footed buddy. When we're brushing our teeth, tying our shoes, combing our hair. Great intro, great, you know, got the alarm scene. Good morning, Perry. Today's gonna be a great day. I just remember the first time I'm watching this movie as it premieres, and the song starts, and Phineas says, Good morning, Perry. Today's gonna be a great day. Then all of a sudden, the singing begins. I think it's Danny Jacob. We consider every day a plus to spend it with our platypus. It's a blast of amazement. What a perfect opening song. There's this great form, these great scenes, and I think what really ties it all together for me is I'd love to see the bond between Phineas and Ferb and Perry that you very rarely get to see because Perry's always with Dr. Doofenshmirtz. The outro sequence where you got Phineas and Ferb and Perry doing this little like dancing thing over the everything's better with Perry, everything's better with Perry. Now I'm not even like commenting anymore i'm just like saying what happened i guess that's the finest time to move on to the greatest phineas and ferb song that there is vincent martello's favorite phineas's favorite in other words it's been a long long day and there were moments when i doubted that we'd ever reach the point where we could laugh and sing about it the best episode they ever did summer belongs to you and with the best song they ever did Summer belongs to you. Forget summer where to begin, honestly. This is the defining Phineas and Ferb song. They sing it at nighttime, which is very poignant, I think. After the whole theme of the the hour special is chase the sun, make the longest day ever, follow the sun all around the world, seize the light, hold on to it for as long as you can, make the most of it. And then when the sun goes down, when it inevitably gets dark after the sun sets, you'll be able to celebrate, and you won't have to be sad that it's gone. The song has multiple pieces of great advice, some of them a little bit too explicit for some people's taste, 
specifically the ones that Candace sings is like, hey, I learned new things today, and here's what they are. That's not what she says, but that's the main gist. One of my favorite ones, piece of advice, that is, is from Phineas. In the first verse, before the chorus, when he says, as soon as you wake up, you got to make your move. I find this is especially a good piece of advice to take as soon as the alarm clock goes off in the morning. So if I don't make my move immediately, I am very prone to falling back asleep. As soon as you wake up, you got to make your move. talked about like key changes a little bit in us against the universe there's something going on here in that little like advice section as soon as you wake up that section because most of the songs in d major but there it drops to b and it's on the the f sharp major chord which is the major three in this key and what that means is you're expecting it to resolve to a minor chord to b minor is like the natural natural progression to go there but instead it goes to a b major there's a major chord where you would expect a minor chord and there's the, a very similar effect leading into the chorus when you've got that same f sharp chord again and you're thinking like where are they going to go they're going to go to the b minor but instead of going to b minor they go to g which is like the second most common place to go so you you climb it so it's it creates like there's a lot of tension that builds there goes to G and then goes to A then goes to D and it's pretty quickly so that you don't have time really to reset your expectations from B minor to the relative major D major so that's multiple points in this song like at least three or four where you're expecting a minor chord to come and a major one comes instead at least like you know standard conditioning of musical expectations you would expect a minor chord and there's dancing and there's Jeremy coming home. There's the key change upper tone to E flat. Which is a little more like grandiose and classical than D. There's this constant like resistance of negativity going on in Summer Belongs to You. And I mean, if you're going to hammer home the theme of, yeah, I know we're stuck on a desert island but maybe we can fling ourselves over the ocean with a rubber band in a massive paper airplane, or maybe we can fly over the construction site in our old bikes. If you're going to focus all episode on how you'll get there if you just believe, then this song really hits the nail on the head. I hope you enjoyed my list. I know that you disagreed with some of it. I hope you agreed with at least a little bit of it. Any opinions or glaring omissions are welcome. You can send me a DM. Disney Channel Discourse on Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And speaking of Apple Podcasts, you can leave me a pleasant and kind five-star review and a message if you so desire. I'd be most grateful. So to close out this episode, it is the objectively 23rd best Phineas and Ferb song. Okay, so I was just editing this, and then I realized that I forgot Aerial Area Rug. I have no idea how I missed it. 
that probably wouldn't have made the top 30 list, but it's definitely an honorable mention. And honestly, like whenever anyone says, oh, name an underrated Phineas and Ferb song, like that's my go-to. I have no idea how I didn't think of that. I don't feel like downloading the MP3, but go listen to it because it's pretty good. <laughs> 